Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed and past performance does not guarantee future results. Good morning, and we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're having a super fun discussion this morning about uh, retirement income strategies and tools and assets. And sort of the basis of the conversation is, is viewing reverse mortgages and viewing equity in your home in a little bit of a non-traditional light in terms of viewing it as more of a traditional asset class than um, as something that, that needs to be preserved. Um, and so I will get to our caller in a moment, but um, my two guests this morning are David Tortolot, uh, who's a certified reverse mortgage professional. I've known David a very long time. We've done a lot of shows together. Um, his office is in Hanover. You're with Homes, uh, Homestead Mortgages. Yep. And we have um, a very well-known um, economist and researcher in the world of financial planning, um, uh, Dr. Wade Fow, um, who has his doctorate in economics from Princeton University and is a professor of retirement income at the American College of Financial Services. He's an author. He's a, 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 lot, of, a lot of different things and very well-known, well-respected um, economist in our industry. So again, thank you so much for your time, Wade, uh, this morning. We do Absolutely. have a caller. Uh, we have David. Uh, from Marion, or I don't know if it's David Marion or David from Marion. <laughs> Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you? What can we do for you? I have a question uh, for you sure. or your guests. Uh, I've been listening to you this morning, and, and my question uh, relates to a required minimum distribution. So the market is down, and I have no choice but to make that uh, distribution. And um, is there something that your team can tell me uh, about this or am I just that's it whatever um, it is at the time that's it yeah you, well your your required distribution needs to be satisfied this calendar year right. no matter what 2020 was the only exception to that where they waived required minimum distributions um, in that one year but no your your required distribution needs to be satisfied having said that there is some flexibility in how you can satisfy it for example if you have multiple retirement accounts in your name you don't have to satisfy the distribution from all of the accounts you can satisfy from one or the other or both. There's a little bit of flexibility there um, if you have multiple accounts. Um, it, we, we were talking earlier in the show about, about cash bucket strategies or income strategies where some people hold cash inside of the portfolio to support you know distributions in general, but require distributions in specific in periods of time where the portfolio is down in value. So I, I'm assuming you're asking the question because you don't have a cash position in the portfolio to draw from. Is that correct? Well, I have a cash position, but not in an IRA, okay. in, a, in yeah. a regular account. So okay. I was referring to the fact that my IRA, as as in the case of most people, look, even though I'm yeah. in a very conservative position, I still have um, a considerable loss yeah. uh, so far this year. I don't know what it's going to be like as of December 31st, right. but... Um, 
apparently there is no, uh, it, it, you know, and I, I, I understand whatever it is by the end of the year uh, is what I'll have to read. Uh, yeah, take out of yeah. the IRA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm assuming you have. Some, you mentioned you're in a pretty conservative portfolio. I'm, I'm assuming yes. you're in some sort of a balanced uh, portfolio that's you know tilting to the conservative. Some in some markets, when stocks are down in value, sometimes bonds are holding their value or they're up in value. Right? They're they're what we call a negatively correlated asset. So sometimes they yeah. move in. Generally, they would move in the opposite direction of stocks. Unfortunately, that's not happening so far this year, no. where bonds are no. down pretty significantly. Significantly, yeah. yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the flexibility to wait, of course, until the end of the year and and see how right. uh, see how markets move. Of course, you're running the risk of markets turning down further from here, and then you're selling at an even mm-hmm. lower point. Um, but no, this is you know something for you to consider in the future, David. Is to uh, w- you know it, when markets recover, uh, whenever that might be in the future. Um, you know to maybe consider carrying a cash position inside of the IRA so that you don't have to um, deal with this again. So, right, when, when when markets are strong again, whenever that might be in the future, right, taking some profits when you have some profits inside of the account and holding a money market or cash position inside of the account, you know, no, nor some, some practice might be to hold a year or 18 months or two years worth of what your required draw would be in a cash position so that you don't have the same worry the next time the market's turned down. Of course, that doesn't solve your your problem this time around. But um, yeah, you have to satisfy that distribution by the end of the year, unless there's legislation. I haven't heard anything, but I suppose it's possible they could provide further legislation to waive them, but haven't heard anything like that. And I think it's unlikely. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you've, uh, you've answered my question. I think I kind of knew what the answer was going to be, but I yeah. do like the idea of I never considered uh, when things uh, rebound a little bit to yeah. taking a position and putting uh, IRA money in cash, therefore not having to uh, sell at a loss in the future. Correct. So, yep. uh, yeah, I like that idea. Good. Mm-hmm. We like to say smart things okay. on the show once in a while, David. Okay. <laughs> have, okay. A good, have a good day. Thanks for the call. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Um, we also have Brooke from Roslindale, I believe, on the line. Brooke, you there? Yes, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Um, great, thank you. I appreciate your public service to the listeners. WATD is a, is a great station. Oh, good. Thank you for saying that. I don't run WATD, but I contribute, so thank you. What can we do for you? I have a question, please. I am the administrator for my mom's estate. Okay. It is coming out of probate soon. It's been in probate for two and a half years. It's an ugly family fight. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> That's been a, it's been a challenge. Yeah. But my question, please, is I have not received any information regarding the reverse mortgage that's on the estate. Oh. It was by it was it was originally opened by a private company, and I understand it was sold to HUD. And I have not had any information for two years, and the HUD site is nearly impossible to navigate. And I wonder if you can give me a source where I could get that current figures, please. David, I'm passing that to you. I have no idea. Yeah, so it sounds like... Um how how long ago, roughly, did the last borrower pass away that took the reverse mortgage out? How long ago was two and that? Half, two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago. Wow. These loans are usually due within a year, but I think COVID uh, oh, had made some changes where they sort of extended the um, the foreclosure processes. So I, I have you been in communication with, um, is it NOVAD? 
N-O-V-A-D is the uh, where you're getting your monthly statement from? Does that sound familiar? Yes, but, yes they, well, I don't get a monthly statement. I haven't had anything in two years. Right, but I mean, the, the correspondence you're getting right now, now that the loan is due, you're getting that from NOVAD, which is HUD servicer. Yes. Okay. Uh, Novad was the last person I was in touch with, but they, um, it's, I haven't been able to, I've been reaching out through the internet to HUD and Novad, and I haven't been able to get my figures. Okay, I would reach out directly. Did they, they gave you, provided a phone number, right? I would reach out directly and just get a really good idea where you're at uh, in terms of when they may have to, you know, proceed with foreclosure. Um, I don't know when those ex- expiration dates are. I know that it's in probate, so I'm sure that you've communicated that with NOVAD, and I'm sure there's measures in place that when a house is in probate, I don't, I'm not an attorney, probate attorney, that they give you grace periods to settle that so that they can uh, get the loan paid back. So um, I, I, if I was you, I would be dialing the phone number to ta- contact them. I wouldn't reach through the Internet um, that can be sort of a black hole right now with staffing issues. Just try and get someone on the phone, let them know where you stand in terms of probate and when you think that's going to be settled. And then from there, um, j- just, you just want to know when is their you know, deadline date that they have in place in their system when this lo- loan is going to be called due. David, does um, the loan accrue after someone passes and between the yeah. period of time and the loan, the loan continues to accrue? It does, but right now it sounds to me like, is the, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Brooke, is the home value, um, is the loan balance, the reverse mortgage balance, higher than what the home is worth? No, I've got this probably about 175 to 200,000 of equity. Interesting. Okay. So I think what happened is, this is technical, but the lender endorsed it to HUD because they can do that at a specific time frame. And probably because of the probate issue, they endorse it to HUD, which Novad is HUD services. They've taken it over. So there's equity in the house um, for you to, when you settle the estate at the moment, that'll that'll go to the estate. But I, if I was you, I, I'm a little bit, these loans are typically due within a year of the last borrower's death. Now there's grace periods. You get six months out of the gate, then you get a 90-day extension. You get one more 90-day extension. But with the probate and COVID, I think that's why we're two and a half years down the road, and Novad is fine with that. You haven't received any default notices, have you? That they're foreclosing on a specific date? No, I haven't received anything. And Novad is almost. It's I, I've reached out to Novad through the internet, and they don't. Uh, if you look up Novad on the internet, it is not like you cannot see Novad Mortgage or Novad Financial or something. No, they, they're just they a servicer. Not, they are not listed. They're an internal servicer for HUD, basically. So who does he want to call? HUD? No, he oh. want, he wants to call Novad. You have an eight. You have oh. a, a customer service number on any of the correspondence from Novad. Nope, 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 no, 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 no phone number. Near, I have nearly anything. Can I just Google it? Phone it's number for no dead end trying to reach people. Uh, uh, they're probably understaffed like so many other yeah, organizations right I, now. I would probably Google HUD service and NOVAD, N-O-V-A-D, customer service number, and just see if something pops up. Um, you know, I, I'm just surprised what, they're the, not forcing... Yeah. You know, I, what's the penalty for non-payment of the loan when it's due? Well, they have to they have to clear the assets. So you know, this time frame is when the loan is due. Yeah, and we're beyond that. But I know we're beyond that, and that, I know HUD had kicked the can down the road for not forcing people out of their house during COVID, even if we weren't meeting the time frames. But I don't I don't think it's ongoing. I think they've uh, ended that. I don't know exactly what it is. Mm. I would try 
my hardest to figure out a way to get Novad's number. You can go to HUD.gov and maybe search on I, there. That doesn't. I found a, I found a phone number on NovadConsulting.com. Yeah, all right. Um, it's Unfortunately, it's not toll-free, but it is 301-429-5961. Is it Novad Management Consultant? I don't Consulting? Know. Is that yes. the reverse mm-hmm. mortgage? There's Actually, there's an 800 number on the top right. Um, oh, yeah, I saw that one, HUD's too. FHA Resource yes. Center. 800-225-5342. Okay. Yeah, I would call sooner Call sooner rather than later, Brooke. I don't think you want to deal with, you know, the, missing yeah. the deadline f- for that. Especially with 175000 in equity yeah. in the house going to the estate. I'd yeah. hate to see. I just, I would do everything in my power to try and find someone. I'd Google HUD. I'd call FHA. This, every, every region has a, um, an office. And I believe in our region, it's in Philadelphia. They call it a hawk office. Um, so oh, I would, you know, you can Google Philadelphia HOC office, um, which is just the HUD FHA office that, you know, handles that region. Mm. So um, th- try that. And th- maybe you got to get a human on the phone to get really clear on what the deadlines are now that it's in probate. And is probate, they're going to wait for probate to be completed or they have their date set in place and that's going to be it. Mm. It's a little tricky when you get beyond the dates. Um, I don't have, I, in 17 years, I've never dealt with that yet. So, but I've, I've heard of these situations. Uh-huh. Okay, okay good. well, I appreciate your help. I'll, I'll reach out again. I, I'll, I started the process, but it was frustrating and yeah. trying to reach either people through the phone, um, calls not returned, and the internet, the internet resources are vague. You know what, Brooke, and docu- document, again. Brooke, document all of your attempts at communication with them because if they come back and tell you you missed a deadline, you want to have all the information regarding your attempts to contact. Okay, that makes sense Good luck. Well. Yeah, good luck. Take care, Brooke. Good luck, Thanks Brooke. for the call. Okay, Bye-bye. All right. Um, I have a question for Wade, if you, yeah, unless you want to move forward. No, nope, go ahead. Um, we were talking, you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, the psychology of money and home ownership um, today. And Wade, I just wondered, like in your circle of professionals and academics, like, do you, are there any um, psychologists in the field of money or that, that you've spoken to? And like, what is their take on this research that you've done in terms of the um, psychology surrounding home ownership and passing this to the heirs? And like, you know, how do you have any... Um, thing to s- on that in in that regard. Sure. <laughs> yeah, great question. Yeah. Just in the general division of labor, I am much more focused on the quantitative side of yeah. like trying to figure out what's the best mathematical approach. Of course, yeah. But but absolutely, the psychology is very important, uh, and it is there is this psychological hurdle that y- you were talking about this that people just they view the home as this asset that they can't touch and that will be their legacy, and it it's hard to overcome that psychological hurdle. And mm. that may be the biggest stumbling block for a lot of people thinking about the reverse mortgage, which is taking out a mortgage on a home that you have always worked to pay off that mortgage. And uh, so I don't know how psychologists psychologist would approach that, but it's, I think it's just the way I approach it is it's a matter of framing that this is a, a mortgage, but it's not a traditional mortgage. There's yeah. not a fixed repayment obligation. It's, it can be pushed back to the end of retirement. And so 
it really works in a different manner. It's not that you can be kicked out of the home because you're not making a mortgage payment or something like that. Yeah, and my I, question too was on sort of dovetailed on that. So I throw that in right now. Yeah, and, and I just before you do that, I know I love to interrupt. I I, <laughs> I could like this. I, I was just writing an email to my uh, coworker who helps me schedule the radio. That it would be awesome to have a someone a psychologist of money on the show because yeah. there are so many. There are I can think of so many examples of when mathematically something makes sense, right? In in terms mm-hmm. of your personal. Uh, financial plan, but, but, but the psychology gets in the way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, do I pay down my low interest rate mortgage or do I put more money in my 401k that has the potential to earn more? Right. And when we know mathematically in some situations, what will look better. Right. But, but the emotional weight of carrying debt, right. Is is first, you know, I see it all the time of their mind, but also like, you know, it could have the same conversation regarding, you know, saving for college. Right. Do I pay off my student loans that I still have, or do I start saving for my kids college? Right. And we know what mathematically is going to make sense, but what they're emotionally, how, you know, how they're going to want to proceed emotionally is different. So I could think of so many examples of that, but yeah, I just didn't know if you had, you know, tossed around, it would be cool to see you at a conference sometime right? You and in, in your research and then a psychologist of money, right? And, and, and approaching the, the same problem from different angles would be really cool. Um, anyway, go ahead, David. Yeah. What were you yeah so what, what you were just talking about with that psychological emotion with, with home equity, Wade, I like what you talk about. Everyone sort of views when you take a reverse mortgage out for it to be in isolation. And that's really not how you view it. You view it as a coordinated instrument to go along with all of their other, their entire portfolio. And, and that instrument serves as a backstop for various things that might happen during retirement. So in our example earlier, when the stock market crashes, okay, that's fine. You're taking 2,200 from there. We won't interrupt that payment. Let's just take it from the home equity line bucket, the reverse equity line. And so just touch on that. And then also kind of compare, you know, legacy is, all of the money and assets combined being passed on to the estate. So I like when you compare, if you're drawing money from an IRA or a Roth IRA, you're taking money out and that money's gone. And then you're also, you've taken that out and you've lost the ability for that money to grow that you just took out. So there's really no, it's an asset. It's just a different asset class. So it's the same thing whether you're spending from your house or an IRA or a Roth IRA. Legacy is everything that's being passed on, whether all of it's in the home or all of it's in the IRA or having it in place and coordinating it is what you're talking about makes the portfolio, you're preserving that to last longer in retirement by having it in place as a backstop. So just if you can sort of elaborate on that, that would be great. Sure, sure. And, and what makes retirement income different is just risk changes in retirement. But the, like the financial services profession, it's always focused on how do you save and, and grow an asset base, primarily through investment-based strategies. And, and the trouble is just trying to extrapolate that post-retirement, where before retirement income planning came along, it was almost just, okay, the same investment strategy you use pre-retirement, you, you use post-retirement, you just spend from the portfolio. But the act of spending from the investment portfolio changes so much. It creates this, what we've talked about, this idea of sequence of returns risk, that if you're mm. selling assets from a declining portfolio, that can create problems. You also have longevity. You don't know how long mm. your money needs to last, and so you really don't know what's a sustainable spending rate. And so that's then introducing this idea of retirement income is 
it's not just asset management, it's asset and liability management. How do you fund your spending needs in retirement? And so, well, when we have to fund expenditures, how can we think more strategically about all the household assets, mm. the investment portfolio, the home equity, social security benefits, things like long-term care insurance and so forth. How can we fit all these pieces together to create the most efficient retirement outcome? And that's where this idea of the, the reverse mortgage as a last resort, when you've spent all your other assets, is the least effective way to use a reverse mortgage. Mm. Incorporating it throughout the planning process can lead to those better outcomes. And it's how all those assets interact. And how, as you said, if I spend for my investment portfolio, that asset no longer will grow. And it's the same framing as a reverse mortgage. It's a way to spend from the home equity. Now it's structured a little differently because it's a loan. So then that loan balance is growing. But in parallel, if I spent from the investments, it, I can frame that as taking a loan from my investments that will now, I miss out on that growth. So it's it's an equivalent structure. And so then it just becomes, well, how do I wanna spend most effectively from my assets? And that's where coordinating the home equity with the investment portfolio can help better preserve the overall asset base in retirement. Yeah, I think the hardest part of, um, you were just talking about, you know, um, the, the period of time when you're accumulating your assets, right? And you're saving in, in your 401k, et cetera, and you're paying down your equity in your home. That period of time is uh, easier to plan for, right? Because you have control over when you're going to retire, right? And it, it, maybe it's not the ideal age, and you know, maybe, maybe it changes as as things in your financial life change. But it's easier to plan for that, right? Because we sort of have like this fixed period of time. What's difficult about planning in retirement, right, and and income planning is that we don't know how long it is. We can use statistical life expectancies, um, and we can use you know longevity in this person's family, right? But we don't oh, it's already time for a break again. Um, but we don't, We like, it's just, it's hard to plan for that. So I think like coming back to the psychology of it all, I think it's, you know, it, when, when I'm across a table from a client, it's, it's sort of e easier to say, let's plan to use these traditional assets. Let, let's come up with a plan where we're using your traditional assets to, to spend down in retirement. But we don't really know how long that is because it depends on how long you live. And let's use equity in the home as a fallback, right? It's sort of easier for people to wrap their heads around that, right? Because they might, first and foremost might not want to spend equity in their home, right? We've already talked about that, but it's easier for them to be like, okay, we'll touch it if we need to. So I think psycho like psychologically, that's um, easier for people. And you and I know that utilization of the reverse mortgage, if at all, um, doesn't necessarily, it's not like you spend everything and then you go to the reverse mortgage, right? You sort of would recognize um, situation, you know, as you're spending your traditional assets, if that's the, the plan you proceed with, you sort of recognize when you're near the tipping point, right? Yeah. And, and you're going to want to bring in the reverse mortgage asset, like before you literally spend on all of your other traditional assets. So, um, but I think that's like e just easier for people to wrap their heads around. Um, and that comes back to the psychology of it all. Um, I did have another question for you, but we do have to take a break. Oh, that was fun discussion. But um, we do have point. another 30 minutes with Dr. Wade Fow here um, talking about reverse mortgages as more of a traditional asset class. He's done a lot of research in this regard, and it's super exciting. And I love thinking about your modeling, and I want to throw some different variables at you. Um, uh, I also have David uh, Tortolot here with me today, who's a certified reverse mortgage professional with Homestead Mortgages in Hanover. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. We are going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Market turbulence can cause panic, and you might be wondering if your investments are allocated properly. 
I'm Kirk Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Let me help you understand your investment strategy and ensure that it is suitable for you. Then you can turn off the financial news and move on with your life. And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're going to get right into it because we've only got now 27 minutes here with uh, David and Dr. Wade Faust. So I I have with me David Tortolat, who's a reverse mortgage, certified reverse mortgage professional with Homestead Mortgages. Um, And also Dr. Wade Fow, who is a professor of, uh, sorry, professor of retirement income and director of the retirement Income Certified Professional Designation Program at the American College of Financial Services. He also has a doctorate in economics from Princeton University and University, excuse me, and lots of other credentials. Um, and David and I were saying, this guy's way too young to have such a long resume. This is crazy. <laughs> um, so again, thanks for your time, um, Dr. Fowl, this morning. This has been really fun. And I keep thinking of like, it would be just be so fun to do modeling with you and, you know, see your software. I use software too. I'm sure we use different software, but, um, you know, changing up the variables. That must be really fun. I can imagine I would enjoy um, getting into the weeds of that research too. And I was just thinking like, um, you know how the the p- part of your, one component of your research is regarding, um, you know, p- uh, how assets pass to the next generation, right? And under current law, how these things pass, right? We talked about that a little bit um, earlier, but one, one um, huge benefit uh, to uh, beneficiaries or heirs of estates when inheriting non-qualified assets is the step up in cost basis as of date of death, right? And, and, and that's a huge component of your research, I imagine. I just wondered if you like, that has been proposed in the past to be eliminated. And I just was wondering if you, like, are you excited to, to remodel if that's to change? Have you thought about that at all? Because that's a huge tax plan planning um, a tool right now for, for families, especially of higher net worth. So like, have you thought about that at all and how that would change things? It would be really complicated. And, and no, I worry about new tax legislation yeah. because that, that retirement income certified professional program, whenever there's some unexpected change to policy, it can be such a huge headache. Yeah, to update all yeah, yeah, yeah. To update and all your books Eliminating and stuff, yeah. the step up in cost basis yeah. of death is one of those things that would be a nightmare for me at a personal level. Oh, to, totally. To it, 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 I think it would be unfortunate on many on many levels. It, it, and it's, yes, it would be. A, yeah. And I don't, I mean, in practice, I don't even know how that can work because so many people have assets that they gathered, you know, 40, 50 years ago yeah. that they have no idea what the cost basis is, that how that True. could be effectively True. done. Yeah. It would be a nightmare. I, I don't know. I, that was a proposal, but it, it's fallen away. And I don't think there's really anything right now on the legislative horizon that yeah. would yeah. reintroduce that. But I wonder about that. Sometimes I stay up at night wondering if that's ever going to go away and how unfortunate that would be. No, not really. I, but I do stay up at night thinking about Roth IRAs more frequently than step up and basis going away. But um, Dave, uh, David, what other questions do you have um, for Dr. Fow? I know you have a whole list there of... I would just, if you could just sort of run through... I've heard you talk about how to utilize a reverse mortgage uh, when someone's in a lower tax bracket to do Roth conversions. Just sort of outline how that works mm. and you know what the benefit would be and, and why, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, well, it's all about managing taxes and something that, so it, everyone's in a different situation, but for like middle-class Americans, there's this social security tax torpedo that when you claim social security, it's possible that when you generate additional income, such as a distribution from an IRA, not only are you taxed on that, 
but that actually pushes more of your social security benefit to be taxed. Mm -hmm. And so you might think you're in say the 22% federal income tax bracket, but you're maybe at a point where a dollar that's taxed at 22% also pushes of a dollar or 85 cents, 85% of a social security dollar to be taxed at 22%. Mm. And so suddenly you're now in the 40.7% tax bracket. And that's the kind of thing where a reverse mortgage is not taxable income. So if you find yourself in a situation where I need to spend another dollar, if I take it from the IRA, I'm being taxed on that. Uh, It's pushing more of my social security to be taxed. There's also another possible effect where it pushes a dollar of my long-term capital gains from the 0% Mm. rate to the 15% rate. And now suddenly, even before considering state tax, I'm at over a 50% marginal tax rate. That's the kind of situation where I can step back and say, okay, instead of taking that dollar from my IRA, I might take it from a reverse mortgage line of credit. And then it's not a dollar of taxable income. It doesn't go into my adjusted gross income. It doesn't impact my taxes on my social security benefits. It doesn't impact pushing more dollars of long-term capital gains into the 15% bracket. Mm. At higher income levels, it wouldn't impact my Medicare premiums. And, and then that's tax planning is all about looking for those situations where we have to pay taxes, but let's do it at the lowest possible rates. And so having a non-taxable income source like a Roth IRA, like a reverse mortgage can create a lot more flexibility around being able to manage adjusted gross income and therefore being able to better manage the tax picture and, and pay taxes at a, a lower rate when possible. So basically, they to pay the tax bill, if they're doing a Roth conversion, they're paying the tax bill by taking proceeds from the reverse mortgage to cover that, correct? Well, that, that can be an option. And this is something, especially for people who may have retired in their 60s and are deferring Social Security to closer to age 70 to benefit from that increase in the lifetime benefit they'll receive they may have a window of opportunity where they don't have a lot of taxable income. And so that can be a chance to do Roth conversions, to move before required minimum distributions begin, to be moving money from the IRA to the Roth IRA, which does generate taxable income. And then, okay, well, how do you pay the taxes on that? The reverse mortgage can be a tool to help do that so that you can get more of the IRA converted before social security benefits begin and before required minimum distributions begin. And, and so you have that potential to pay taxes at a lower rate. And, and that money, because there is no step up in basis with the IRAs and what we were talking about with the SECURE Act, having that money transitioned over to a Roth IRA and, and leaving that as an inheritance can be a lot better for adult children who may be in their peak earnings years when they receive that inheritance. Mm. C- coming back to the psychology of this all, right? I hate to keep coming back to this, but but it's, it's a huge component of the discussion. Like what we're talking about here are very... Um, mathematically sound strategies, but these are very complicated strategies mm-hmm. that we're talking about, right? And so, so you know, so, sometimes people are hesitant to proceed with strategies like that just from lack of understanding, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, a great reason. You know, I'm glad we're here today, right? And, and, and I have some of these same conversations where I see fit with some of my clients. Um, but, but people are hesitant to proceed with something that they don't understand. And rightfully so, right? Absolutely. And, and I, we can have the same conversation regarding annuities, right? Super complex. Some of these are super complicated and sometimes people shy away from things they don't understand. And, 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 on, a, and on some level, thank goodness for that, right? Um, but yeah, but the, these are, I actually had a conversation not long ago with um, a client who 
basically what Wade was just talking about, right? Where recognizing that there was a period of time before required distributions where we could draw money out of the the IRA, right? And pay taxes at a low rate and, and, I, and they didn't need the money uh, for a variety of reasons, but we were talking about, um, you know, Roth conversions and, and, you know, I was explaining, and I think I explained things pretty well, right? And, yeah. I, and, and I can explain it on any level. Um, and he, one of my, my client in this example was just like, Ah, that sounds too good to be true. No, no, not gonna do that. No, I get, nope, I, we're not gonna do that. He well, kind of, he almost like laughed at me, like, no, no, no. What are you talking but about? Yeah. yeah, the psychology yeah. of having to pay taxes before necessary. Right. That, oh, <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. Right. And and I like to have. Um, I enjoy tax planning conversations as well, right? But you're right, the psychology gets in the way. Like, well, I don't, why would I pay taxes when I don't have to? And then, you know, you and I know that like, you know, planning for a long period, tax planning over a long period of time can be really impactful. Like, tax planning over, you know, across generations can be can be really impactful. But you're right, uh, if people don't have to pay taxes, they they don't want to. And, Whether it's and, less now or yeah, gonna be more exactly, in the future, right? Exactly. No, I deal with it all the time. Exactly, yeah. And to your point, and people should not buy anything they're not comfortable right. with. I deal with right. that all the time and people say, it sounds like a great idea. I'm still a little fuzzy on it. So oftentimes yeah. we'll meet again yeah. and then we'll meet again. Yeah. And then eventually it might click with them. But I don't sell the loan to people. I educate them on the loan yeah. and, and talk about all the facts and provide all the math and all the pros and all the cons. And they make the decision. So, yeah. And I think we all do that. Oh, of course. And um, d does when someone takes out a reverse mortgage, uh, is d is it still mandatory that they go through some sort of training? That's not with you, right? That's yeah. with some sort, right? That's yeah. It's place a neutral and, third party. It, it's a yeah. HUD trained counselor. We have to provide a list. We can't steer them to an agency okay. because that's, you know, steering. And so we provide them with a list of about five uh, local agencies in that state, and then okay. a list of. Um, national agencies. Yeah. And the whole idea is that's a safeguard, right? So I do this for a living. I'm sitting down with a 75-year-old widow at her kitchen table yeah. and we decide that it's a great idea to do it. And she says, let's do it. Well, we can't do it. I have to provide a list of agencies for her to contact. Okay. She contacts yeah. one and she does a phone counseling what? session at the moment and that's yeah. a safeguard because that's a neutral party. Why is this not in place in the annuity world? I'm going to go on a rant about that. <laughs> we could have a whole another whole another show on, on annuities and you know I, I know that I know that you've studied them extensively um, Dr. Fow but um, I think they're anyway we could have a whole nother show on that I know they have their place in the world and and I and but I think they're they're also oversold and, and under understood and I, I get I get really yeah. upset about those sometimes when I meet people that you know thought they bought one thing and and it, it wasn't what they thought and it's just frustrating yeah. anyway I digress yeah um, so I mean all these instruments those. can be complicated yeah. right a lot yeah. of financial yeah. instruments are complicated yeah. including mine it, for me it's a mortgage it's a home mortgage when you boil it down we all know how to take one out yeah. And so that's not complicated, but there's different major differences. You yeah. know? So um, I take the time with people and I got certified to get more training yeah. so I can do that in a simple fashion. Yeah. I, I, it seems to me that, um, you know, what we're talking about here, the, what we've been talking about this morning in, in terms of using equity in your home, um, not as a last resort, but, but as a place to draw money from quite tax efficiently. Um, it seems to me that the the hesitation well people with if you think about people with uh more than sufficient assets to provide their themselves a comfortable retirement right though the people that don't really have to worry about longevity risk of their assets those are the people i think that will be more comfortable with this strategy mm -hmm. right they have they know they have enough 
uh, assets to provide their income and leave a legacy, themselves income and leave a legacy to their family. I think it's the people that are on the cusp and might are unsure if their assets will last for their anticipated lifetime, right? They might not have assets as sizable as they would like. And they might be worried about, they, they might not want to use equity in their home because they want to at least leave their kids something, right? And I think that's what it comes down to. I, I, I'm not going to talk, I at least want to leave a legacy in some regard. That way, you know, it's okay if I spend down my 401k, IRA, whatever, my other assets, I at least want to leave something to my kids. And I, I think that that's um, respectable and, and nothing wrong with that. And I, and I think that's where like the psychology, the, the, the hurdle really is, but, but Mm -hmm. it seems to me that the, at least in the conversations I've had with clients, it's the people that really aren't worried about the longevity of their portfolio or their assets in general that recognize this as a tool, right? Because they're pretty comfortable. They're going to leave their kids something. It's about Um, having an an open mind, really. Just, just, to open your mind to another tool that's out there. It's called home equity, yeah. but it's it's home equity used in retirement in coordination with your portfolio to help that last longer. Yeah. And it's really an insurance policy. We all have auto insurance. We have homeowner's insurance. I have flood insurance. We have all these insurances that we pay for every month. May or may not use them. And that's what really this is. It's yeah. an insurance policy, uh, sort of a put on your, on a your portion portfolio. of your home's equity. But there's so many amazing features about it when you set it up that line of credit amount might go from 350 to 600 you might never use it and that's great if you can get to the end of your life and you have plenty of money left and you never use that line of credit there was never any hurt because you only had closing costs as a loan balance right and so you know it's just it's one of those things where you you have to understand what you're getting into and get all your questions answered and have an open mind to at least get educated on it yeah there's also some people that don't have kids right that they're not right and they might be passing a legacy to other family members or charities or things like that but right but but leaving a legacy to their kids isn't first and foremost and they might be more comfortable with that i've also met some people uh who are comfortable using equity in their home and and spending down their assets to zero in general, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, even some people with kids are like, oh, my kids make more money than I ever did. They're fine. Or some people have, you know, so many kids that it's not going to, um, you know, th- yeah. that dividing by seven or nine or 11 kids isn't going to go, sometimes might no go, not go very far anyway. And right, those are the people that might be more comfortable with this strategy. But, I mean, I, in yeah. my 17 years, I, I, just to let everyone know, is that I see what happens, the parents pass away and, you know, the services are, are done and, and about a week later, there's several realtors in the house getting ready to sell it. And because there's a dangling carrot, right? There's money in the house still yeah. to get. So it's a very quick thing. And the money goes to the kids and yeah. then they do with, with it what they want. Yeah. And so it's, it's a very quick thing. Um, I haven't had anybody yet since I've been in the business that called me and said the home's upside down. But I've only been in the business 17 years. Yeah. That, that can happen. Especially if they tightened it only five years ago in yeah. terms of you guys were saying back in 2017, limiting the amount of equity they can take and some other variables you yeah. mentioned. But yeah, we haven't had a decline in the real estate market right. since then. And but. most of my clients are using it in a way that uh, Wade Fowl's strategies are. They're, they're using it responsibly. They're not using it to go to Foxwoods, buy boats, right. buy Bitcoin. Um, they're using it to help preserve longevity to stay in the house long yeah. term maybe have yeah. in-home care yep. put in place and, and so on wait do you have any any like thoughts or any comments on what we just talked about over the past five minutes Alyssa and right. I I mean that that's an important emphasis that it's the, the book I wrote the reverse mortgages book is about using it as part of a responsible retirement plan and if mm. it's kind of like Odysseus tied to the mass this idea that if if 
not if having liquidity in your home is going to lead you to buy a boat or something that's not part of a responsible plan. Mm. I mean, maybe buying the boat is responsible, but <laughs> doing things that you would Enjoying not life? do that yeah. are not responsible, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you may be better off not having access to that home equity. Yeah. But if you're tr- thinking more strategically about how can I build the best retirement plan, that's what my book was intended for, that yeah. type of use. Do you want to talk about your other book for a moment? And I apologize, I don't know the name of it. Re- <laughs> retirement Planning Guidebook, right? David did all the research for today's show. <sighs> the, the Retirement Planning Guidebook, Navigating the Important Decisions for Retirement Success. Cool. It is the book I was always trying to write, and I had three books spin out of that along the way. So <laughs> <laughs> Reverse Mortgages was the first of those. So that, cool. that broader Retirement Planning Guidebook has a chapter about housing wealth and deciding where to live in retirement and, and thinking about a reverse mortgage, but then also all the other aspects of building a retirement plan from Social Security, Medicare, long-term care, investment strategies, annuities, uh, everything, uh, it's all in there. Tax planning, And then I, uh, right? the other books too focus more on, I, I have a book called Safety First Retirement Planning that explains how annuities work. So like some of the misconceptions you mentioned, yeah. people not understanding yeah. what these annuities do, that book can give that full explanation of what's going on there. And then How Much Can I Spend in Retirement is another book that focuses on investment strategies for retirement. And that all starts with that 4% guideline of, yep. okay, here's how you spend from an investment portfolio in retirement. Yep. And wait, I think you're the only outsider that has written a book on reverse mortgages, right? I think all the other books are written by people in the industry, mm. if I'm not mistaken. I think so for the most part. And I've benefited from the, my books usually kind of either first or second listed at Amazon in terms of the the um, not sponsored books, although you might mm. see a sponsored link too. But yeah, most of the other, I'm, I know most of the people have written all the, the best-selling reverse mortgage books. And yeah, there, there are some other great books out there as well, but they're, I mean, they still write in a fair manner, but yes, most everyone else is a reverse mortgage lender themselves uh, who's writing a book on reverse mortgages. I'm the only one who's writing from the perspective of not being a reverse mortgage lender myself. <laughs> and, I, and I liked what you said. I, I watched a podcast recently where you said, you know, when I started researching reverse mortgages, I had all the similar misconceptions. And mm-hmm. you said to yourself, if I'm going to advocate for this tool and write about it, I'm going to stack the deck heavily against it as I'm researching it, meaning you're going to factor in all the costs and everything else that goes with this loan. You're not going to leave anything out because you're an outsider. Am I correct on that? Well, and it's, yeah, if I'm trying, if the argument is ultimately that a reverse mortgage is helpful, then whenever I make an assumption, I want to make the assumption in a way that's not leading to that conclusion. Right. So I want to give the benefit of the doubt to Mm. the idea that the reverse mortgage is not helpful and then see how it all plays out. And so, right, I'm not, I mean, you can negotiate costs and some different things, but I want to make sure the full retail costs are considered, uh, trying to represent as best as possible a scenario that is not favorable to the reverse mortgage mm-hmm. to then see if in spite of that, do you still see these benefits and do the benefits exceed the costs? And that's ultimately what I conclude is that the benefits of the reverse mortgage mm. in, when used as part of a responsible retirement plan can exceed the cost of the reverse mortgage. So you get that net positive outcome at the end. And thereby leaving a larger legacy and, and, and not in all cases, right? I mean, we're not saying 100% of the time, but leaving behind a larger legacy and um, higher net worth, 
You know, mm -hmm. if, if set up properly, used responsibly, the person wants to stay there long term, you know, maybe it's a higher valued home, so you're accessing more equity. You know, I, I would see that this scenario might not work for someone that has a $200,000 house because we're not working with a large enough bucket of money. Um, but in most cases, your models were factoring in all the variables Mm. to the best of your ability going back to the 70s and carrying that right. strategy and, right and through. And when interest rates are low, that actually favors a reverse mortgage unlike most any other retirement strategy. And so, yeah, looking at the historical data, like 1982 is an anomaly in the simulations where oh. interest rates interest are super rates are high. high. Yeah. And then after 1982, the stock market does really well. And so that is one scenario where because interest rates were so high, you couldn't borrow very much with a reverse mortgage. So that's kind of okay. If you retired in and then the markets after 1982 were experienced, that wasn't a great time to use the reverse mortgage. But that also speaks to this point that today's world is like the opposite of 1982. Interest rates are very low. And well, we don't know what the stock market's going to do looking forward from today, but like stock market valuations and all these other metrics we have to explain long-term stock returns are the opposite of, of 1982. 1982, the stock market was undervalued relative to historical averages. Mm. Today, it's, it's overvalued. Mm. And so we're kind of the opposite of 1982. And, and 1982 was an exception most of the time in these historical simulations. The, the reverse mortgage strategies are giving a stronger outcome. One of the things we haven't talked about today, we sort of geared today's show on... Um, you know, uh, using the reverse mortgage on a discretionary basis, I guess, right? It, from uh, as a tool in retirement for people that have multiple assets to choose from, right? What we haven't really talked about, and what I think is um, really important, and in terms of highlighting the the tool that is a reverse mortgage, is for those people who are not in a great financial situation and who might be retired or wanting to retire and still have a mortgage and maybe they can't really afford it, right? And and they don't have a lot of assets to draw from, right? And they might be, you know, to working to 75 or later, it, right, to try to pay down a mortgage. And what we haven't really talked about is the quality of life that a reverse mortgage can provide someone in a situation like that, right? And yeah. in terms of just not using it as a tool to draw from, but using it as a tool to eliminate a payment in your life and increase quality of life for those people that might not have sufficient assets elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and I know that really wasn't the purpose of today's show, but I, we, we can't end the show, right, without pointing that out, that it can enhance quality of life for some retirees that don't have sufficient assets elsewhere to provide the life that they're looking for. And I've seen that firsthand with clients. And it's like, it's heartwarming. I just got the tingles, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, that's, that's about that. why I only yeah. do reverse mortgages for a living exclusively because I have many, many testimonial letters yeah, that they, yeah. they mail to me several months after the closing. One of the things Wade has talked about, and it's one of the most common ways, Wade, and we both know this, is that when people, I think it's 44% of people over age 62 still carrying a mortgage into retirement. Am I mm -hmm. right on that? And so they have a payment and that's a fixed ongoing payment. So a lot of folks don't realize that you can actually switch that mortgage or mortgages mm -hmm. into a reverse with refinancing it. And mm -hmm. by doing that, now they have an optional payment mortgage. So they, they can free up cash flow mm -hmm. now. They, in other words, if they had a $2,000 a month principal and interest mortgage and we switched that into a reverse, that's a way of saying, hey, if we want to, honey, 
and we want to improve our quality of life, we can save $24,000 a year of net cash flow mm-hmm. if we want to. If we come into an inheritance and we want to pay down the balance as it's deferring interest, we can do that. Mm-hmm. It's just a really flexible way of going into retirement with a mortgage. If you're carrying a mortgage anyways and you're in retirement, it might as well be a reverse mortgage if you want to stay in the house long term, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't believe home equity lines of credit are good for anybody 62 and older. Um, unless Traditional home equity lines Traditional home equity, lines. home equity lines. Yeah. And, because, yeah. and it's only because I've had many people call me when that expired. They took it out when they were 62 and they had a spouse and they had enough income together to get a home equity line for 150000 And then the spouse passed away and the loan expired in 10 years. They went down to the bank and the bank said, you don't have enough mm. income to redo this and your payment's going from interest only 150 a month to now yeah. 600 a month. And they call me and say, now they want to do a reverse mortgage. So... It's it's biased, but you know I'm not saying in every case a home equity line isn't good for someone 62 or older. But if they want to stay in the house long term, to me it doesn't make any sense. Well, especially right now in this interest rate environment, yeah. right? And if we're talking about any sort of a sizable balance on there, and the interest rate risk that people have right now is 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 notable, right? right? Especially for people older. What are your thoughts on that, <clears throat> Wade? Do you feel the same way, or? Well, yeah, I, I think a very common question is why not just use a traditional home equity line of credit? Yeah. And, and there's the problems you've mentioned where, well, one reason is because repayment can be due a lot sooner than you expect. Mm-hmm. But also there's this whole issue of being frozen or canceled. And that happened with the pandemic where it will happen in the financial crisis of 2008. And, and then again in 2020, right when you want to actually use that, the reason you set it up was to help you when markets were volatile and then it's frozen or canceled on you. And you don't have that problem with the reverse mortgage line of credit. Right, you're paying so an insurance a lot fee of good to, for that guarantee, yeah. correct? Use a reverse mortgage line of credit instead of a traditional, the forward-looking home equity line of credit. Um, we have to wrap up, so I want to uh, uh, maybe just, you know, again, thank uh, Dr. Wade Fow for your time this morning. That You were amazing. We knew you would be. We've been excited about this show. Um, since you agreed to come on. So thank you so much. Um, you can check out um, Dr. Wade Fow's books on Amazon. I, and Fow is P-F-A-U, right? Yes. Um, and that if I just put in your name, Wade Fow, P-F-A-U on Amazon and your retirement planning guidebook popped up, your reverse mortgages book, and then safety first retirement planning. Is that another one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's the one that explains how annuities work. Oh, awesome. I'm going to I'm clicked <laughs> to purchase that one. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time today. And, and I really, really appreciate it. Also, David Tortolot with Homestead Mortgages. David's a reverse certified reverse mortgage um, professional. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you, Alyssa. You can find thank you, Dr. Fow. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you Pleasure. so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I look forward to seeing you at a conference one of these days soon. Thank you so much. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. If you missed any part of today's show, you can find our podcast uh, in your podcast app. You can search McNamara on Money. We turn all of the live shows into podcasts. So if you missed anything, um, check that out. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com. Thanks so much for your time. Happy weekend, everybody. Dr. Fow, thanks again. Take Bye, care. Bye, Dr. Fow. All right. Bye-bye.